Thank you very much, Dave, and thank you, musicians, and good morning, everyone, and welcome to those that are visiting with us. We did have a wonderful day yesterday for many of us attending the wedding of Brandon and Kelsey. It was a lovely wedding, and they always make me emotional and food for thought. I was saying afterwards, I was talking to Byron Unger, that uh, a wedding like that were very meaningful, and the, the vows that they said to each other it's thought-provoking for me, and I always evaluate my life and my marriage and the vows that I made right here 41 years ago and examine my heart to say, am I really fulfilling those vows that I made to my wonderful wife, Ruth, 41 years ago? So I find it thought-provoking when I attend a wedding like that. I was sharing that with Byron yesterday. And I said, same thing with funerals. It's almost medicinal or beneficial, especially if it's a, a wonderful brother or sister in the Lord, to a, a couple of times a year at least attend a funeral service and as you sit and reflect, at least for me, it is food for thought. And am I living for the Lord as I should? You're struck once again with the brevity of life, even if the person is an older person. So I find attending a wedding is even more wonderful than a, than a funeral, but I do find attending a funeral very thought-provoking for me as well. And the verse that the Lord laid on my heart, if you were here at the first service, we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and our brother just read some of the portion that we're going to be looking at today in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at a number of verses, but the verse that hit me as I was thinking about speaking this morning was verse 58, and we read, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now there's lots to look at in that one verse, but when it starts off, therefore, we should see what comes before to cause the writer to say, therefore, right? And so turn to the beginning of the chapter. We read some of these verses earlier, but they bear reading again. We read, starting off in chapter, verse one of chapter 15, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I declared to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve. After that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or died. Um, lost my place, uh, some fall asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, Paul, also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, whom am not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, 
How do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. And then down to verse 57, which we read a few minutes ago. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore... My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because of the certainty of the resurrection is why we should put verse 58 into action in our lives. And we're going to look at some of the lives that were touched and how they became steadfast and unmovable because of the certainty of the resurrection. But even before we do that, just a sidebar, turn to Luke 24. Luke 24. As I was studying and preparing, and in those two occasions in verse uh, 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and rose again according to the scriptures, I thought of Luke 24, and first of all, the two on the way to Emmaus, when we read in verse 25, then he said unto them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And then down the chapter, when he appeared to the eleven, we read there, verse 44, Then he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, and the prophets, and the Psalms, concerning me. And he opened their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. Certainly, we see here, in Corinthians according to the scriptures and then in Luke 24 the Lord Jesus saying all of those Old Testament scriptures they're about me and so in my own Bible reading and your Bible reading I'm sure sometimes we get a little bit bogged down as we read the Old Testament and it's tough slugging at times but if we say Lord just like you did with your followers would you Open my understanding that I might comprehend the scriptures because you said it's all about you and I want to learn about you from the Old Testament 
as well as the New Testament. So I just commend that to you. If you're like me, and sometimes it gets a little bit, you, you kind of read a passage sometimes in the Old Testament, and you kind of turn the page, and then you kind of catch yourself and go, hmm, what did I just read? And then you turn the page back, and you read it again, and it's like you were reading it for the first time. And you say, I thought I was just reading that. And yet, to get engaged and to ask the Lord, Lord, help me understand. You said this is all about you. Uh, Moses, the books of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, they're about you. So help me to understand them, please. So that's a sidebar, not really the main text of the message, but I couldn't help when I read those verses according to the scriptures. So now, let's think about Peter first of all. Was Peter someone that we see that was one that was steadfast and immovable and abounding in the work of the Lord? Yes. Did he start off that, in that positive a vein? Turn to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. These are almost hard verses to read and to comprehend. But Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. And let's just think a bit about Peter and what we see here. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. Isn't that hard verses to read? But if that's Peter, think of your heart and my heart as well. We see ourselves there too. And yet, turn now to Acts for quite the difference. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And we'll read Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Down to verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So, they, so when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them, because of the people, since they all glorified God for what they had, um, for what they had done. And then over to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Acts 5, 29. But Peter and the other apostles answering and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Then down a little bit further, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, in verse 38 says, now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. <clears throat> but, it, but if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you be found to fight against God. 
And they agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed and never spoke again. No. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So quite a few long readings. But what a contrast, what we read in Matthew, Peter, and what we read about Acts, why the amazing transformation? Luke 24 again. We see in Luke 24, that familiar portion where we have the two on the way to Emmaus, and we're going to look at them in just a moment. But when the two got back, we'll pick things up um, in verse 36 of Luke 24. Now, as they had said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and, aff and affrighted or frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see me have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Amazing. Peter was no doubt there, one of the 11. And Jesus appeared. They were affrighted. They were, they were fearful. They were frightened. And Jesus said, it's me. I am alive. Handle me and see. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see me have. And do you have something to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he ate it. And they could see that he was alive. Also, um, so there's one where Peter, for sure, no doubt, was amongst the 11 and saw Jesus. John chapter 21. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and we read there, starting off in verse, um, in verse 3, we'll read, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we're going fishing with you. And so we know the story, how they fished all night, caught nothing. And Jesus called out, and have you caught any fish? And they hadn't. And he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. And they did indeed, and they caught it's amazing how the Bible sometimes is so specific. They caught 153 fish, and the net wasn't broken. And in verse 12, Jesus said to them, <clears throat> Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. And so they had breakfast with the Lord on the beach that day. So Peter was one of the apostles and one of the disciples. We, we read as well, we shouldn't be just pick on Peter in terms of what we read in Matthew. We read that they all forsook him and fled. And yet, after Jesus died and rose again, according to the scriptures as we read, he appeared to them and they knew that he was alive. And that's why they were determined to be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And I couldn't help but think of my own life as I'm preparing. What about me? Is the certainty of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, does it have that same impact on my life day by day? Now, there's many others we could look at. We're just going to very briefly think about the two on the way to Emmaus. Uh, 
one of my favorite stories in Luke 24. Uh, you can have it in front of you if you like. But Luke 24, those two on the way to Emmaus. And I, I'm sure that Jesus came up to walk along with them because they were sad and without hope. And we see that. Jesus said, Why? what's the problem? Why are you walking along and are sad? Are you the only stranger, they said to him? Don't you know what happened? And we trusted that Jesus was going to be the one. And they were so downhearted. And they, Jesus just walked along with them and spoke to them from the scriptures. And something must have grabbed their attention because when they got that seven miles to their home and Jesus made as if he was going to go further and they said, no, 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 please abide with us. Come in and stay with us. And we know that wonderful story how when they broke bread, maybe it was seeing the marks of Calvary, that their eyes were opened and they knew him. And they said, didn't our heart burn within us while he walked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And what did they do? They were no longer trudging along sadly with no hope. They got up and they walked as fast as they could that seven miles back to share the news that Jesus was indeed alive and that they got to know him as he broke bread. And I'm sure that as those two on the way to Emmaus lived out their life, that they were steadfast and unmovable and abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that it wasn't going to be in vain, right? So uh, in 1 Corinthians, we read about Peter and the disciples and the apostles, I'll include the two on the way to Emmaus, but then Paul talks about him, right? Talks about himself. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 9, and we'll think about the apostle Paul, Acts chapter 9, Again, someone that had a turnaround in his life once he realized who the Lord Jesus was and that he was alive, right? Verse 9, Then Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if they found any who were of the way, any Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone round about him from heaven. Then he fell on the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. So this is the Apostle Paul, and the reality of the Lord Jesus being alive and appearing to him on the road to Damascus. What could Paul say later on? 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll read just verses 24 to 27. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is Paul, as it were, you could say boasting or defending himself or sharing the reality of what his life was 
once he became a follower of the Lord Jesus. He could say in verse 24, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one, i.e. was beaten with whips 39 times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false witnesses, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Not the, the wonderful poster you would make, come be a follower of the Lord Jesus. I, Paul, this is how my life has been. You should come and join me and follow the Lord Jesus too. Why would Paul have put up with all of that and gone from one wanting to arrest and have put to death any followers of the Lord Jesus to doing this for and enduring this for the Lord Jesus. It was because of the reality of the resurrection that he knew that Jesus was alive. Come back to my life. Come back to your life. Are we gripped in the same way and are we steadfast and unmovable in the same way? So in the last 10 minutes, let's look at what we have in that last verse where we're told to be steadfast. Now, of course, one of the best ways of thinking about words like that is, well, what other verses kind of relate to being steadfast? You don't have to turn to them because I'm going to go through a number of them, but see if these verses relate in your life as they did to mine as I thought of being steadfast. Galatians chapter 6 verse 9, we read, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Be steadfast. Don't grow weary while serving the Lord. Jesus could say himself in Luke 18, verse 1, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. I'm sure there's many times in your life and my life where we, for whatever reason, are discouraged, and you could say we're losing heart. What does the Lord Jesus said? You ought to pray in times like that. And I'll listen to you, because after that verse, he tells a parable about a judge who didn't fear God or man, and this woman kept coming to him to get her matter dealt with, and the judge decided, I don't really care about this woman, but I'm tired of her bothering me all the time, so I'm going to look after her. And Jesus used that to say, well, if that ungodly man would do that, you can imagine me as your dear Heavenly Father, you ought to pray, because I'm going to listen to you if that judge would do that for his own purposes. That's the connotation of that verse. Then um, another one, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, we read, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So when we talk about steadfast, the word vigilant comes to mind. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. So many of us, when we do things, we're kind of haphazard or not really working at it like we should. And if we were, what a difference it makes to be vigilant in the things of the Lord. So those are some thoughts on being steadfast. Immovable. What is movable? Well, I thought of 
being stubborn in a good way. I'm sure many of us, when we were growing up, perhaps had parents admonishing us to not be so stubborn or whatever, right? But sometimes it's good to be stubborn, and if it's being stubborn in a good way, that's what immovable meant to me. And we think of Peter before the Sanhedrin, Peter and the other apostles answering to say, we ought to obey God rather than men. They were immovable in that, in that regard. Another one I thought of, or three, in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they were stubborn in a good way, or they were immovable, and how they could say in Daniel chapter 3, our God is able to deliver us, but if not, we will not serve your God or worship the gold image that you have set up. They were immovable. And what faith they had of saying, our God's able to deliver us, and we know miraculously how he did, but they said, if not, we're still going to be immovable. We're not going to bow down to that golden image. <clears throat> Another one that I thought of just recently, this one you might turn to, Matthew chapter 9. I don't know if it's ever struck you this way. Um, Matthew chapter 9, when we think about being immovable or stubborn in a good way, Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. When Jesus departed from there, two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And we don't read there that the Lord stopped and dealt with them and healed them. So you have these two blind men who followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, let it be so. And their eyes were opened. That story came to mind about being immovable or stubborn, that those two blind people, even though they were crying out, the Lord Jesus kept going. But they kept going too and followed him to the house and the Lord rewarded their faith. Um, so that is something that relates to being immovable. Finally, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we read, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Christ, to endure hardship, to be immovable in that way. Two more thoughts at the end of that verse. We had steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. The key word there for me was abounding. And Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Again, that connotation, I'm not being just kind of working away at it, but to abound in the work of the Lord, to do things for the Lord with our might. The Proverbs Chapter 6, verse 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise to, to work at things. And Colossians 3, we read, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever we're doing in life, to do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the last part of that verse, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And many, many references came to mind. I'd like to share some of them with you as we just end the service by thinking about if we are being steadfast and immovable and bounding in the work of the Lord, 
how wonderful to know there's that promise that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We read Mark chapter 8, For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? That relates to that. Second um, Peter 3.11, Therefore, since all these things, all the things, temporal things, will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you and I to be in all holy conduct and godliness. And then in John 6, Jesus could say himself, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who, um, he who believes in me shall never thirst. And two more. 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy, chapter 6, 17 to 19, thinking about the fact that our labor is not in vain in the Lord if we're living for him. 1 Timothy 6, these are some sobering verses and some challenging verses. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may hold, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And finally, Matthew chapter 6, familiar verses again. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So those are the thoughts that the Lord laid on my heart as I was considering that verse that caught my attention. I've read it many times before. But I wanted to share some of those thoughts with you this morning. And in leading up to speaking this morning, I the Lord brought to mind a song that my mother used to sing, a World War I song. Not that my wife, my, my mother wasn't around during World War I, but her parents likely had uh, shared this. And it, I'm just going to read the chorus of, it's not a hymn, but some of you might recognize it. The man who wrote it was Harry Lauder, and he was a Scottish entertainer, actually. And he had one child, a son, and his son was killed um, December 28, 1916. He was a captain in the First World War, and his son was killed, and he wrote these words, which I think relate to the verse and our thoughts this morning. He wrote, keep right on to the end of the road, keep right on to the end. Though the way, may, though the way be long, let your heart be strong, Keep, right, keep on right round the bend. Though you're tired and weary, still journey on till you come to your happy abode where all the love you've been dreaming of will be there at the end of the road. I think there's an application that we can make from that for our Christian walk to keep right on to the end of the road. Soldiers used to sing that as they marched along uh, going uh, into battle, as it were, to keep right on to the end of the road, keep right on to the end. And I think that's the, con the um, 
the message in that verse that we've looked at this morning. So let's just look to the Lord in prayer as we conclude this morning. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this passage from Corinthians and the other passages from your word that we read. I just trust in my own life that I would reflect on it, that I would be like those early followers of the Lord Jesus that we were thinking about, like Peter, like the two on the way to Emmaus, like Paul, that we would be gripped by the reality that you did indeed die for our sins and that you rose again. And just as their life was turned upside down and they turned upside the, the world around them and that we would draw this to, to ourselves today and that we would be steadfast and immovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. And we thank you for that promise that it won't be in vain. We give thanks as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.